This is SC Featured. And a story about perseverance making the rounds on the web. It began as a quest to win a world championship, turned into an amazing bond. He refused to leave his friends behind. These things happen maybe once in a lifetime, if you're lucky. He went through the hardest part of the race with us. The team didn't choose the dog. The dog chose the team to follow the team. It was kind of a fairy tale. Welcome to the SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta. On this week's episode, we break down the story of Arthur, the bond between a dog and a team of adventure racers. We are now joined by two people who are responsible for the telling of this story, my esteemed ESPN colleagues, Tom Rinaldi and Kristen Lapis, reporter and producer. Kristen, how did this story even come about? As producers, we cast a very wide net in terms of reaching out to people we know and trying to see what stories are out there that maybe we haven't heard of. And I have a cousin living in Stockholm right now, and she reached out to me um, about this extraordinary story that had kind of won over the hearts of an entire nation. And once I started to research it and kind of, you know, learn about Arthur and this team, I was immediately hooked. And I wanted to bring it to our ESPN audience. And Tom and I, we kind of decided that this is a story not only about adventure racing, obviously, but about this timeless bond between dog and human and how, you know, a lot of our listeners and our audience can relate to that. Tom, what attracted you to the story? I think it's a number of different things, uh, Jen, but... One of the things is you have to be careful when you're going to do a story about a dog, uh, even in the venue of sport. It's very easy to tread past the line into complete sap territory, <laughs> which I've been a- accused frequently of uh, inhabiting. Uh, but there were so many different dynamics in this story that really cut against that. Um, one, which we'll explore a little bit later, is Arthur's appearance, which does not really adhere to Lassie or Old Yeller or the dogs you see in commercials, but also the notion of adventure racing, which is pretty compelling for listeners of a certain age. The eco challenge might ring some bells with teams that would compete over the harshest terrains in the world, put themselves through uh, challenges that most of us would never even entertain beginning to compete in. Uh, We have Spartan races and Ironman races, etc., but uh, those would really pale in in comparison to world adventure racing. You're pushed to an extreme that the human body is not used to, whether it be sleep deprivation to a profound degree. I mean, races can last five, seven, nine days with competitors having slept a total of 10 hours or fewer over that span of time. What is it about the bond between dogs and humans that resonates with so many people? I think anyone who's ever had a pet understands that bond, but in particular, uh, you know, the classic, are you a dog person, are you a cat person, et cetera. I think every single one of us is, in fact, a dog person. Uh, even if you are a cat person, you just have that latent dog side waiting to come out. Uh, and I think it's all of the classic themes that have been written about for centuries about the connection between a dog and a person, the loyalty, the belonging, the understanding, the love and the bond, uh, an unconditional connection, a bond that endures. We're going to meet the members of Team Peak Performance. Kristen, who will we meet today? 
We're going to meet Michael Lindnord, Karen Lundgren, and Stefan Bjorklin, all members of Team Peak Performance, uh, who was one of the best in the world at the time of this race in 2014. So their expectations going into the Ecuador World Championship were very, very high. Um, and our story kind of begins with that team. This week's SC featured Arthur. Urskansvik, Sweden, 300 miles south of the Arctic Circle. Michael Lindnord grew up an athlete here, on skates and skis and teams, fast and strong. But it wasn't until his early 20s that he found his competitive calling in a fringe sport known as adventure racing. Sometimes people try once and they've never touched the sport. But then people try it and thought, well, this is it, this is for me. And this was happened for me. I was addicted. Adventure racing is a global sport where the arena is earth and the finish line is the prize. Its races and rules are simple and brutal. Michael's team, which included Karen Lundgren and Stefan Bjorklund, faced the same challenges as all other competitors, namely climbing, skiing, cycling and kayaking across a course hundreds of miles long. First team across the line wins. If you want to be the best in this sport, you need to suffer. Now we're hiking again for 20 hours. Lack of sleep is probably the hardest part when you have pushed for five days and you've slept for one hour. There's plenty of chances to get injured and, and die. I've been in races where people die. You have to survive. That's the first priority. It's about surviving. By 2014, Michael and his team had raced in more than 40 countries on six continents, reaching as high as sixth in the world. In the fall, the team was set to enter the biggest event of the year, the World Championships in Ecuador. Our main goal was to be ranked number one and win the world champion. We were all well-prepared, and I think we went into Ecuador um, pretty confident. Four hundred thirty-five miles, reaching 15,000 feet, spanning 13 different climate zones and winding through Amazon jungle one of the toughest courses in the world. On day four of the race, the team reached a transition area, ready to change disciplines from biking to trekking. Now he's biking. Just a few hours behind the leaders, close in race terms, the team's course would suddenly change. In the corner of my eye, I saw, I saw a dog, like walk really, really slow like that. His fur was kind of like mangy, had some flies like buzzing around his eyes. He had a really big sore like on the top of his back. It just was dirty. He walked around just trying to get food, uh, but since he looked so miserable, he was bleeding a lot from his back. No one wanted, wanted him around. 
my thought was like, oh, don't come close to me because I get all the diseases in the world. The racers have done a good job of describing what this dog looked like. Tom, paint the picture for us. What type of condition was he in? Let's start out with the fact that Arthur works so strongly against the stereotypical dog that you see in a movie or on TV. And we all know what that dog is, right? That dog is Lassie. That dog is Old Yeller. That dog is the dogs you see at the Westminster show. This is a, look at the words used by the team members, Jen, mangy. This is a dog that could well have been rabid, could well have been feral, could well have attacked. A dog deeply wounded with a series of scars and a large open wound running near the spine, near his hindquarters, if you will. A dog which, by every definition, looked dangerous. Yet, this is the dog that slowly approaches the team captain, Michael, who then is faced with a decision. Kristen? So obviously his appearance was not very appealing when they first ran across him. But one thing that the team did tell us is that coming across stray dogs in these types of environments is very, very common. And so when they came across Arthur, the one thing that struck them besides his horrible appearance. Was his demeanor. Exactly. Exactly. He was not barking. He was not growling. He had a very friendly, kind of easygoing demeanor. He was just walking around their campsite kind of looking for food. And that was the one redeeming quality that he had, according to the team. And it's part of the reason that the team was willing to share its food with Arthur. My thought was like, oh, don't come close to me because I get all the diseases in the world. But then at the same time, I think to myself, no one can ever be nice to this fellow. So I took some of my meatballs and I put them on the, on the ground just in front of him. As the race continued, the team realized they weren't alone. The dog was following us like 20 meters something behind us. And then I looked back again and I saw the dog is coming closer and closer. Every time we look around, he's still with us. If we stop to get out our headlamps or do anything, he kind of stopped with us too and just like kind of kept his distance, but he was definitely following our team. Through dense jungle, deep muck, steep grade, the dog kept pace. He went through the hardest part of the race with us. He was sometimes stuck, all four feet, just stuck in the mud. You wanted to, like, pick him out, but he he just took care of himself. Just because of him, it was a little easier because I could focus on something else. I could focus on this little dog fighting as hard as I did. The dog had wounds and will. What he didn't have was a name. Michael, he was walking around there and he was trying a lot of different names. And then he was just like, what about King Arthur? Even if he was wounded and really damaged, he still had this aura around him. So I think he deserved the name Arthur, like a king. The name stuck. Dawn of day five, with food and water running low, the team was weak and tired, and Stefan, Michael, and Karen faced a difficult decision. We had a really tough night, and uh, Arthur, he was laying down next to us. 
He could barely stand up. He was breathing really hard. To me, it was really painful to see a dog suffer so much. How he became a team member, and everyone in the team felt like he needed the food most. It didn't matter that we were probably going to run out of food. We had to take care of them. We didn't have a choice. There is something special with this dog. And he realized that, okay, these guys won't leave me. So I won't leave them. Arthur didn't leave, at least until the team reached one of the final stages, the mangrove swamps and rapids of the Kajimese River. They would board kayaks for the next 34 miles across water. Arthur had reached the end of his road. The race marshals, they told us, you can't, you can't bring the dog. The dog had to stay here. I didn't say anything, because I understand that, of course, we can't do a 14-hour paddling with a dog. I understand the difficulties with it. And then we pushed away. I was looking at him and started to paddle. And then I heard, like, boom. The otter had jumped into the water. He came swimming after us. I felt like we can't leave him now. So I just grabbed him and, and put him in my knee, and I was like, okay, we're doing this together. Krister Gorenson was the team's official photographer, whose photos of Arthur during the race went viral. The team didn't choose the dog. The dog chose the team to follow the team and it was so attached to them. At that point, we weren't racing for first place or second or even third. It was so clear he was yeah, part of us. There was something bigger in taking care of this dog than winning. On day six, Arthur followed his team across the finish. They came in 12. By the time they crossed the line, another challenge was waiting. Arthur's survival. The Ecuadorian team, they had heard about this story along the course, and they came up to us and they told us that you guys realize that if you don't bring the dog back, uh, he will be killed here. It's the culture here. When SC Featured Podcast returns, Arthur had now crossed the finish line with his team, but there was still a long journey ahead. Welcome back to SC Featured Podcast. I'm Jen Latta, joined by Tom Rinaldi and Kristen Lapis, the reporter and producer of SC Featured Arthur. It is the story of a stray dog in Ecuador who attaches himself to this adventure racing team and forms the unlikeliest of bonds, trekking through mud and through the jungle into the water, deciding to stay with this team, and then the team's decision to embrace him as well. Before we left, we talked about this reality, a striking admission, actually, that had Arthur remained in Ecuador, he likely would have been killed. Tom, why is that the reality? We'll go back to what Stefan said, Jen, right? That you guys realize that if you don't bring the dog back, he'll be killed here. It's the culture here. That's what members of Team Peak Performance were being told. So Arthur, who goes through dense and muck-filled jungle, then jumps from a rock into a raging river, 
uh, to only then be picked up and paddled for 14 hours with the team crosses the finish line. And it's only then that the team captain really begins to realize if he really is a member of our team, we can't abandon him here because his fate is unknown and likely very dark, Kristen. Michael's first kind of intuition when he when he finished the race was to bring Arthur to a veterinary hospital and to have him treated and then eventually hopefully adopted by a family in Ecuador. And the race officials told him that the chances of that happening in this culture are very, very slim. And that's when Michael is left with this decision, now what? What do we do with this dog that we've formed this very, very close bond with if this is kind of the the situation that exists for strays in Ecuador? In essence, is this really the finish line? And we find out that it's not. I remember we walked to our hotel and Arthur was with us. And I called Helena and I think I, I want to take him home. Helena Lindnord is Michael's wife. He felt something with, with Arthur and he couldn't leave him. He just wanted to, to help his friend. The decision was made. Arthur would continue his journey 6,455 miles more to Sweden. He arrived in need of immediate veterinary care. His future, still uncertain. Eva Molin was one of the veterinarians who cared for Arthur upon his arrival in Sweden. Arthur was in a bad condition, had large wounds on his back like he'd been beaten or something. They were really infected. If Arthur had been left in Ecuador, he would actually be dead by now. He had been suffering a lot. It's not certain that he had survived because it was quite bad. In the spring of 2015, after four months in quarantine, the dog who almost never made it out of the jungle had finally found a home in Sweden. And something more, a family. We had uh, opened all the doors in the house and he just walked in. It was like he was coming home. He understood that, okay, I'm going to be here. He found his place. He's not like a dog. He's, he's more like a personality. He's so clever. He's so smart. Arthur, he's, he has a heart. You know, he's a part of the family. It's difficult to explain the bound, but there's something special. I see in your face, Michael. There's emotion there. Yeah, a lot. Why? It's the, you know, it's the single best thing I've ever done. You will never survive. Michael is officially retired from racing these days. Arthur, too. But their adventure? That goes on. Tom, what have their adventures been? 
Well, Michael only competed one more time in a world adventure racing competition and then retired, if you will. He's one of the most athletic guys you'll ever meet. He was trying to play semi-pro hockey at uh, almost 40 years old. And believe me, if you threw anything out there for him to try, he would try. He's that kind of, as you mentioned, adrenaline junkie and just freakish athlete. But now, more than two years running, when we made the trip over to Sweden, uh, it is remarkable to see Arthur completely a member of the Lynn Nord clan. And, I mean, some people could make the case that in certain situations, Kristen, the lord of the clan right now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Arthur is treated as one of the family members to the fullest. We were actually over at Michael and Helena's house for dinner when we were shooting in Sweden, and Arthur is served first. Uh, he got his grilled chicken about the barbecue before any of us did. So he is truly the king in the Lindnord family. Not just in the Lindnord family. Arthur's fame is huge in the country. Kristen could speak to it better than I can. How he was received and how he continually is received as a celebrity. Yeah, so his story kind of made its way across the entire world. The family received hundreds and hundreds of letters and child drawings just talking about the inspiration that they felt once they heard Michael and Arthur's story. I could try in my best way to describe the level of fame that Arthur reached in Sweden, but instead I'm going to defer to Ulf Anderson, who's a Daily Mail reporter in Sweden. This is what he had to say about Arthur's fame when he got to the airport in Stockholm. It was chaos. You know, it was like when Justin Timberlake comes to Stockholm. He was like a rock star coming to Sweden. So obviously after listening to Ulf, you can tell that, um, you know, he's comparing him to Justin Timberlake arriving in Stockholm. Yeah, quite the distinction. Honestly, when we went around and started to ask people just on the streets in Stockholm, we, we said, do you know the name Arthur? And every single person that we stopped said, of course, it's the dog Arthur. Been on every morning show. Yeah. So that would be the equivalent of being on... The Today Show, Good Morning America. America. He's been featured uh, however many times on the nightly telecasts in Sweden. He is a brand in Sweden. And while it is about a dog, and certainly that element has touched a lot of people worldwide, what struck me about it was you're still talking about these very highly competitive athletes who almost put that aside and risked that in order to be vulnerable and develop this relationship with this dog that has certainly rewarded them since how did that strike you tom I, the only i i think that's a great point jen and what i'd say is it wasn't almost it was that they decided to forego a real chance at winning the world championship in their sport which comes with prize money which comes with sponsorship dollars which comes with the validation of all the work that you've put in to try to win a world title in the sport that you're dedicating an incredible amount of work toward instead they decided that something was more important. And I understand we look at times for lessons in sport, lessons about character, lessons about life. And I probably am more guilty than anyone of the overreach and trying to find that theme or lesson. But in this case, and I'm so thankful that we were greenlit to tell the story, at least for me. And I hope for those who, who take the time to listen to the story or watch it on TV, that they see that in that bond, the bond between a dog and a team that there is something that transcended victory, something that transcended selfish pursuit. And that thing is family. Arthur has a foundation. His story will certainly live on and continue. Tom Rinaldi and Kristen Lapis, thank you so much. That does it for this episode of SC Featured Podcast. 
Make sure to check out all of our past episodes, including the Pin Kings series, by subscribing to our podcast in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Next week, we bring you the story of UCLA star freshman Lonzo Ball's family, the one-and-done prodigy whose outspoken father, LeVar, has made it no secret he has big plans for the UCLA star and his younger siblings. Until next time, thanks for listening. I'm Jen Latta. 